0: Chapter twenty five of the Imperialists by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Miss Milburn pressed her contention that the suspicion of his desire would be bad for her lover's political prospects, till she made him feel his honest passion almost a form of treachery to his party she also hinted that for the time being it did not make particularly for her own comfort in the family circle mr milburn having grown by this time quite bitter she herself drew the excitement of intrigue from the situation which she hid behind her pretty pale decorous features and never betrayed by the least of her graceful gestures she told herself that she had never been so right about anything as about that affair of the ring imagine for an instant if she had been wearing it now she would have banished lorne altogether if she could as he insisted on an occasional meeting she clothed it in mystery appointing it for an evening when her mother and aunt were out and answering his ring at the door herself to her family she remarked with detachment that you saw hardly anything of lorne murchison now he was so taken up with his old election and to hesketh she confided her fear that politics did interfere with friendship whatever he might say he said a good deal he cited lofty examples but the only agreement he could get from her was the hope that the estrangement wouldn't be permanent but you are going to say something, Lorne. She insisted talking of the Jordanville meeting. Not much he told her it's the safest district we've got, and they adore old Farkison. He'll do most of the talking. They wouldn't thank me for taking up the time. Farkison is going to tell them I'm a first-class man, and they couldn't do better and I've practically only to show my face and tell them I think so too. But, Mr. Hesketh will speak, yes, we thought it would be a good chance of testing him. He may interest them, and he can't do much harm anyhow. Lorne, I should simply love to go. It's your first meeting. I'll take you, Mr. Murchison. Have you taken leave of your senses? really? you are all right. I'll send you, Farquaharson and I are going out to the Crow place to supper but hesketh is driving straight there he'll be delighted to bring you who wouldn't i shouldn't be allowed to go with him alone said dora thoughtfully well no i don't know that i'd approve of that myself laughed the confident young man hesketh is driving mrs Farquaharson, and the cutter will easily hold three isn't it lucky there's slaying mother couldn't object to that said dora lorne i always said you were the dearest fellow i'll wear a thick veil and not a soul will know me not a soul would in any case said lorne it'll be a jordanville crowd you know nobody from elgin we don't visit much in jordanville certainly well mother mayn't object she has a great idea of mrs farquharson because she has attended eleven drawing-rooms at ottawa and one of them was given held i should say by the princess louise i won't promise you eleven said lorne but there seems to be a pretty fair chance of one or two at this she had a tale for him which charmed his ears i didn't know where to look she said aunt emmy you know has a very bad trick of coming into my room without knocking well in she walked last night and found me before the glass practicing my curtsy i could have killed her pretended she thought i was out dora would you like me to promise something he asked with a mischievous look of course i would i don't care how much you promise what but already he repented of his daring and sat beside her suddenly conscious and abashed nor could any teasing prevail to draw from him what had been on his audacious lips to say social precedents are easily established in the country the accident that sent the first liberal canvasser for jordanville votes to the crow place for his supper would be hard to discover now the fact remains that he has been going there ever since it made a greater occasion than mrs Crow would ever have dreamed of acknowledging she saw to it that they had a good meal of victuals and affected indifference to the rest they must say their say she supposed if the occasion had one satisfaction which she came nearer to confessing than another it was that the two or three substantial neighbors who usually came to meet the politicians left their wives at home and that she herself to avoid giving any offense on this score never sat down with the men quite enough to do it was she would explain later for her and the hired girl to wait on them and to clear up after them she and bella had their bite afterward when the men had hitched up and when they could exchange comments of proud congratulation upon the inroads on the johnny-cake or the pies so there was no ill-feeling and mrs crow having vindicated her dignity by shaking hands with the guests of the evening in the parlor solaced it further by maintaining the masculine state of the occasion in spite of protests or entreaties to sit down opposite mr crow would have made it ordinary company she passed the plates and turned it into a function she was waiting for them on the parlor sofa when crow brought them in out of the nipping early dark of december elmore staying behind in the yard with the horses she sat on the sofa in her best black dress with the bead trimming on the neck and sleeves a good deal pushed up and wrinkled across the bosom which had done all that would ever be required of it when it gave elmore and abe their start in life her wiry hands were crossed in her lap in the moment of waiting you could tell by the look of them that they were not often crossed there they were strenuous hands The whole-worn figure was strenuous and the narrow-set mouth and the eyes which had looked after so many matters for so long and even the way the hair was drawn back into a knot in a fashion that would have given a phrenologist his opportunity it was a different mrs crow from the one that sat in the midst of her poultry and garden stuff in the elgin market square but it was even more the same mrs crow the sum of a certain measure of opportunity and service an imperial figure in her bead trimming if the truth were known the room was heated to express the geniality that was harder to put in words the window was shut there was a smell of varnish and whatever was inside the suite of which mrs crow occupied the sofa enlarged photographs very much enlarged of mr and mrs crow hung upon the walls and one other of a young girl done in that process which tells you at once that she was an only daughter and that she is dead there had been other bereavements they were written upon the silver coffin plates which framed and glazed also contributed to the decoration of the room but you would have had to look close and you might feel a delicacy Mrs. Crow made her greetings with precision, and sat down again upon the sofa for a few minutes' conversation. "'I'm telling them,' said her husband, "'that the sleighin's just held out for them. If it had been to-morrow they'd have had to come on wheels, pretty soft travelin' as it was some places, I guess. "'Snow's come early this year,' said Mrs. Crow. "'It was an open fall, too.' "'It has, certainly.' Mr Farquison backed her up. About as early as I remember it. I don't know how much you got out here. We had a good foot in Elgin. Bout the same, bout the same, Mr Crow deliberated. But it's been layin' light all along over Clayfield Way. Ain't had a pair o' runners out, them folks. Makes a more cheerful winter, Mrs. Crow, don't you think, when it comes early? remarked Lorne. Or would you rather not get it till after Christmas? i don't know as it matters much out here in the country we don't get a great many folks passin best o times an it's more of a job to take care of the stock that's so mr crow told them chores come heavier when there's snow on the ground a great sight especially if there's drifts and for an instant with his knotted hands hanging between his knees he pondered this unvarying aspect of his yearly experience they all pondered it, sympathetic, well, now, Mr. Farkison, Mrs. Crow turned to him, and how really be ye? We've heard better and worse, and middlin there's been such contradictory reports, Oh, very well, Mrs. Crow. Never better. I'm going to give a lot more trouble yet. I can't do it in politics. That's the worst of it, but here's the man that's going to do it for me. Here's the man the crows looked at the pretendant as in duty bound but not any longer than they could help why i guess you were at school with elmore said crow as if the idea had just struck him he may be right pert for all that said elmore's mother and elmore himself entering with two leading liberals of jordanville effected a diversion under cover of which mrs crow escaped to superintend with bella the last touches to the supper in the kitchen politics in and about jordanville were accepted as a purely masculine interest if you had asked mrs crow to take a hand in them she would have thanked you with sarcasm and said she thought she had about enough to do as it was the schoolhouse on the night of such a meeting as this was recognized to be no place for ladies it was a man's affair left to the men and the appearance there of the other sex would have been greeted with remark and levity elgin as we know was more sophisticated in every way plenty of ladies attended political meetings in the drill-shed where seats as likely as not would be reserved for them plenty of handkerchiefs waved there for the encouragement of the hero of the evening they did not kiss him british phlegm so far had stayed that demonstration at the southern border the ladies of elgin however drew the line somewhere drew it at country meetings mrs farquharson went with her husband because since his state of health had handed him over to her more than ever she saw it a part of her wifely duty his retirement had been decided upon for the spring but she would be on hand to retire him at any earlier moment should the necessity arise we'll be the only female creatures there my dear She had said to Dora on the way out, and Hesketh had praised them both for public spirit. He didn't know, he said, how anybody would get elected in England without the ladies, especially in the villages where the people were obliged to listen respectfully. I wonder you can afford to throw away all the influence you get in the rural districts with soup and blankets, he said. But this is an extravagant country in many ways dora kept silence not being sure of the social prestige bound up with the distribution of soup and blankets but mrs farquharson set him sharply right i guess we'd rather do without our influence if it came to that she said hesketh listened with deference to her account of the rural district which had as yet produced no ladies bountiful made mental notes of several points and placed her privately as a woman of more than ordinary intelligence i have always claimed for hesketh an open mind he was filling it now to its capacity with care and satisfaction the schoolroom was full and waiting when they arrived jordanville had been well billed and the posters held in addition to the conspicuous names of farquesson and murchison that of mr alfred hesketh of london england there was a send-off to give to the retiring member there was a critical inspection to make of the new candidate and there was mr alfred hesketh of london england and whatever he might signify They were big, quiet, expectant fellows, with less sophistication and polemic than their American counterparts, less stolid aggressiveness than their parallels in England, if they have parallels there. They stood, indeed, for the development between the two. They came of the new country, but not of the new light. They were Democrats who had never thrown off the monarch. What harm did he do there, overseas? they had the air of being prosperous but not prosperous enough for theories and doctrines the liberal vote of south fox had yet to be split by socialism or labor life was a decent rough business that required all their attention there was time enough for sleep but not much for speculation they sat leaning forward with their hats dropped between their knees more with the air of big schoolboys expecting an entertainment than responsible electors come together to approve their party's choice. They had the uncomplaining bucolic look, but they wore it with a difference. The difference, by this time, was enough to mark them of another nation. Most of them had driven to the meeting. It was not an adjournment from the public house. Nor did the air hold any hint of beer. Where it had an alcoholic drift, the flavor was of whiskey, but the stimulant of the occasion had been tea or cider, and the room was full of patient goodwill. The preliminaries were gone through with promptness. The chair had supped with the speakers, and Mr. Crow had given him a friendly hint that the boys wouldn't be expecting much in the way of trimmings from him. Stamping and clapping from the back benches greeted Mr. Farkison it diminished grew more subdued as it reached the front the young fellows were mostly at the back and the power of demonstration had somehow ebbed in the old ones the retiring member addressed his constituents for half an hour he was standing before them as their representative for the last time and it was natural to look back and note the milestones behind the changes for the better with which he could fairly claim association they were matters of federal business chiefly beyond the immediate horizon of jordanville but Farquaharson made them a personal interest for that hour at all events and there were one or two points of educational policy which he could illustrate by their own schoolhouse he approached them as he had always done on the level of mutual friendly interest and in the hope of doing mutual friendly business you know and i know he said more than once they and he knew a number of things together he was afraid he said that if the doctors hadn't chased him out of politics he never would have gone now however that they gave him no choice he was glad to think that though times had been pretty good for the farmers of south fox all through the eleven years of his appearance in the political arena he was leaving it at a moment when they promised to be better still already he was sure they were familiar with the main heads of that attractive prospect and agreeable as the subject great as the policy was to him he would leave it to be further unfolded by the gentleman whom they all hoped to enlist in the cause as his successor for this constituency mr lorne murchison and by his friend from the old country, Mister Alfred Hesketh, he Farguson would not take the words out of the mouths of these gentlemen, much as he envied them the opportunity of uttering them. The French Academy, he told them, that illustrious body of literary and scientific men, had a custom on the death of a member and the selection of his successor, of appointing one of their number to eulogize the newcomer. The person upon whom the task would most appropriately fall, did circumstances permit, would be the departing academician. In this case, he was happy to say, circumstances did permit. His political funeral was still far enough off to enable him to express his profound confidence in and his hearty admiration of the young and vigorous political heir whom the liberals of South Fox had selected to stand in his shoes mr fargason proceeded to give his grounds for this confidence and admiration reminding the jordanville electors that they had met mr murchison as a liberal standard-bearer in the last general election when he fargason had to acknowledge very valuable services on mr murchison's part the retiring member then thanked his audience for the kind attention and support they had given him for so many years made a final cheerful joke about a pagan divinity known as anno domini and took his seat they applauded him and it was plain that they regretted him the tried friend the man there was never any doubt about whose convictions they had repeated and whose speeches in parliament they had read with a kind of proprietorship for so long the chair had to wait before introducing mr alfred hesketh until the backbenchers had got through with a double rendering of for he's a jolly good fellow which bolder spirits sent lustily forth from the ante-room where the little girls kept their hats and comforters interspersed with whoops hesketh it had been arranged should speak next and lorne last mr hesketh left his wooden chair with smiling ease the ease which is intended to level distinctions and put everybody concerned on the best of terms He said that though he was no stranger to the work of political campaigns, this was the first time that he had had the privilege of addressing a colonial audience. I consider, said he handsomely, that it is a privilege. He clasped his hands behind his back and threw out his chest. Opinions have differed in England as to the value of the colonies and the consequence of colonials i say here with pride that i have ever been among those who insist that the value is very high and the consequence very great the fault is common to humanity but we are i fear in england too prone to be led away by appearances and to forget that under a rough unpolished exterior may beat virtues which are the brightest ornaments of civilization that in the virgin fields of the possessions which the good swords of our ancestors wrung for us from the algonquins and the and the other savages may be hidden the most glorious period of the british race mr hesketh paused and coughed his audience neglected the opportunity for applause but he had their undivided attention they were looking at him and listening to him these canadian farmers with curious interest in his attitude his appearance his inflection his whole personality as it offered itself to them it was a thing new and strange far out in the northwest where the emigrant trains had been unloading all the summer hesketh's would have been a voice from home but here in long-settled ontario men had forgotten the sound of it with many other things they listened in silence weighing with folded arms appraising with chin in hand they were slow equitable men if we in england hesketh proceeded required a lesson as perhaps we did in the importance of the colonies we had it need i remind you in the course of the late protracted campaign in south africa then did the mother country indeed prove the loyalty and devotion of her colonial sons then were envious nations compelled to see the spectacle of canadians and australians rallying about the common flag eager to attest their affection for it with their life-blood and to demonstrate that they too were worthy to add deeds to british traditions and victories to the british cause still no mark of appreciation hesketh began to think them an unhandsome lot he stood bravely however by the note he had sounded he dilated on the pleasure and satisfaction it had been to the people of england to receive this mark of attachment from far-away dominions and dependencies on the cementing of the bonds of brotherhood by the blood of the fallen on the impossibility that the mother country should ever forget such voluntary sacrifices for her sake when unexpectedly and irrelevantly from the direction of the cloak-room came the expressive comment yeah though brief nothing could have been more to the purpose and hesketh sacrificed several effective points to hurry to the quotation what should they know of england who only england know which he could not perhaps have been expected to forbear his audience however were plainly not in the vein for compliment the same voice from the ante-room inquired ironically that's so and the speaker felt advised to turn to more immediate considerations He said that he had had the great pleasure on his arrival in this country to find a political party, the party in power, their Canadian Liberal Party, taking initiative in a cause which he was sure they all had at heart, the strengthening of the bonds between the colonies and the mother country. He congratulated the Liberal Party warmly upon having shown themselves capable of this great function, a point at which he was again interrupted and he recapitulated some of the familiar arguments about the desirability of closer union from the point of view of the army of the admiralty and from one which would come home he knew to all of them the necessity of a dependable food supply for the mother country in time of war here he quoted a noble lord he said that he believed no definite proposals had been made and he did not understand how any definite proposals could be made for his part if the new arrangement was to be in the nature of a bargain he would prefer to have nothing to do with it england he said loftily has no wish to buy the loyalty of her colonies nor i hope has any colony the desire to offer her allegiance at the price of preference in british markets even proposals for mutual commercial benefit may be underpinned i am glad to say by loftier principles than those of the market-place and the counting-house at this one of his hearers unacquainted with the higher commercial plane exclaimed how be ye goin to get him kept to then hesketh took up the question he said a friend in the audience asked how they were to ensure that such arrangements would be adhered to his answer was in the words of the duke of dartmoor by the mutual esteem the inherent integrity and the willing compromise of the british race here some one on the back benches impatient doubtless at his own incapacity to follow this high doctrine exclaimed intemperately oh shut up and the gathering remembering that this after all was not what it had come for began to hint that it had had enough in intermittent stamps and uncompromising shouts for murchison hesketh kept on his legs however a few minutes longer he had a trenchant sentence to repeat to them which he thought they would take as a direct message from the distinguished nobleman who had uttered it the marquis of aldborough was the father of the pithy thing which he had presented as it happened to hesketh himself The audience received it with respect, Hesketh's own respect was so marked, but with misapprehension. There had been too many allusions to the nobility for a community so far removed from its soothing influence. "'Had ye no friends among the commoners?' suddenly spoke up a dry old fellow, stroking a long white beard, and the roar that greeted this showed the sense of the meeting hesketh closed with assurances of the admiration and confidence he felt toward the candidate proposed to their suffrages by the liberal party that were quite inaudible and sought his yellow pinewood schoolroom chair with rather a forced smile it had been used once before that day to isolate conspicuous stupidity they were at bottom a good-natured and a loyal crowd and they had not after all come there to make trouble or mr alfred hesketh might have carried away a worse opinion of them as it was young murchison whose address occupied the rest of the evening succeeded in making an impression upon them distinct enough happily for his personal influence to efface that of his friend he did it by the simple expedient of talking business and as high prices for produce and low ones for agricultural implements would be more interesting there than here i will not report him he and mr farquharson waited after the meeting for a personal word with a good many of those present but it was suggested to hesketh that the ladies might be tired and that he had better get them home without unnecessary delay Mrs. Farquharson had less comment to offer during the drive home than Hesketh thought might be expected from a woman of her intelligence, but Miss Milburn was very enthusiastic. She said he had made a lovely speech, and she wished her father could have heard it. A personal impression, during a time of political excitement, travels unexpectedly far, A week later, Mr. Hesketh was concernedly accosted, in Main Street, by a boy on a bicycle. "'Say, mister, how's the duke?' "'What duke?' asked Hesketh, puzzled. "'Oh, any duke,' responded the boy, and bicycled cheerfully away. End of chapter 25